Okay, kid, why don't you go to a pool hall? Now, frankly, I was always contemptuous of shooting pool as a legitimate exercise, but I changed my mind after visiting a pool room, and one of the pool sharks told me, My name is Jackie Dwayne McGee. You're 92 years old and you're still shooting pool. Yes, sir. I learned that shooting pool, or billiards, is a first-rate exercise. Besides, shooting pool can divert your attention from worrying about the economy. Even if overall inflation comes down in the economy, until food inflation comes down, I think people will still have that sticker shock. That is Professor of Economics Kevin Sylvester talking about food prices, inflation, and what it is doing to the economy post-COVID. We'll hear from Professor Sylvester in a few minutes. Then Bob and Marcia Smith tell us about the form the Apollo astronauts had to fill out on their return to Earth. The form reads, Moon, not the moon, but moon, and uh, arriving in Honolulu, Hawaii. And we'll examine Mark Twain's alleged quote that history doesn't repeat itself, but does rhyme. We'll look at allergies down south and nationwide, and we'll have some tips about how to avoid osteoporosis. Plus, Roger Ramjet tells us about a tune you might not have heard for a long time. The news is next. Boomer News on OK Boomer. Now, Mark Twain allegedly said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Nashville, Tennessee has been ranked as one of the 30 worst allergy cities in the U.S. Let's go back about 11 years when I had a cup of Joe and Carrie had a cup of tea at a Nashville radio station, <coughs> and we both coughed. Cup of Joe with Robert. <coughs> a cup of tea with Carrie. Sorry. Uh, let me guess, it's your allergies? Uh, I suppose so, yes. I will admit it, I have allergies. It just makes you tired, and then my eyes were all weepy, and I had problems with my contact lenses. I spontaneously cough. It sounds a little bit like a, a cat trying to bring up a furball or something. It's, it's very embarrassing because it spontaneously comes out of nowhere. And, and I turn my face, and I'm trying to cough into my elbow, which apparently is the new maneuver now. One doesn't cough into one's hand anymore. One has to lean over and cough into one's elbow, correct? Not that I know of. I don't cough in anything. No, you just cough. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, these allergies, they say one of the reasons why this is happening is because first we're in a kind of a bowl, uh, as far as geographically. And the second reason is that Tennessee has got all sorts of allergy-causing plants. And then the third reason is because a lot of male plants have been planted. A lot of male plants. Yeah, and they just... Want to procreate. <laughs> procreate, and they, they send pollen all over the place. That's right. Yeah. I heard something that perhaps... The state of Tennessee is one of is the number two in the world for allergens, largely due to the Smoky Mountains. So is it like with smoking giant cigarettes? I mean, I don't understand. Can you help me understand, Robert? All right. The Smoky Mountains uh, are called the Smoky Mountains because of the haze and fog. Sometimes it looks like smoke. Yeah, I agree. It wisps of smoke. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Especially at this time of year. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, Excuse me. Robert Rickman with a cup of Joe and... Kerry with a cup of Alice. <laughs> Eleven years after that broadcast in Nashville, Tennessee, Yale Medicine has this to say. 
2023 will be a challenging year for those of us with allergies. Forecasters say pollen counts are rising earlier, lasting longer, and making people feel worse than ever with sneezing, coughing, congestion, sinus pressure, and itchy, watery eyes. Pollen is especially intense in certain parts of the country, including areas where the first leaves and blooms of spring come early this year, like Nashville. Stephanie Leeds, M.D., a Yale Medicine pediatric allergist, says, With climate change, the general trend has been that we're getting higher levels of pollen and longer pollen seasons. Whether that's due to warmer temperatures or increased carbon dioxide emissions, it's probably multifactorial, that according to Dr. Leeds. A 2021 study by the National Academy of Sciences backs this up. It reported a lengthening of the pollen season by 20 days and a 21% increase in pollen concentrations from 1990 and 2018. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention notes that shifts in precipitation patterns and more frost-free days could also add to the effect of pollen on human health. More than one quarter of adults and almost 20% of children in the U.S. have seasonal allergies, according to the CDC. And let's go from our respiratory system to our bones. Many people with osteoporosis don't know they have it until they break a bone. If you think you may be at risk, talk with your doctor about getting a bone mass measurement. This test can help prevent or detect osteoporosis at an early stage when treatment works best. Now, Medicare Part B covers a bone mass measurement once every 24 months, more often if medically necessary, at no cost to you when your doctor orders it. Along with getting tested, here are more ways to keep your bones strong. Eat foods that support bone health, like leafy green vegetables and fish. Exercise by doing weight-bearing activities like strength training and hiking. And don't smoke and limit your alcohol consumption. Remember, your risk of osteoporosis grows as you get older. One in five women and one in 20 men over the age of 50 will develop osteoporosis. So it's important to take steps early to help protect your bones. And one good exercise for the bones is playing billiards. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes. But let's go to the economy. A lot of people are afraid things are going down the tubes. The nation's economic outlook is vulnerable and fragile. And a variety of supply chain issues, including fuel supply and prices, are impacting the economy and the public, now and in the months to come. This according to three professors from Southern Illinois University Carbondale's College of Business and Analytics. One professor, Kevin Sylvester, says... There are very real concerns of a recession, and the bank failures combined with other factors may just tip things over the edge. One is that you know, gross domestic product is growing again, but not very quickly. Um, so some of the, the earlier enthusiasm about faster growth has, has waned a little bit. Uh, the last two uh, growth numbers haven't been spectacular, but the economy is growing. Of course, the overall concern right now is inflation. Inflation um, was near 10% about a year ago. It has come down since. The question is, how fast will it continue to come down? It reminds me somewhat of the days when I was going to SIU from 70 to 74, we had a lot of inflation. A Coke at the Coke machine in the communications building started out at 15 cents a can, and then I think when I left it was 25 or 30 cents. I think where people see it now is at the grocery store. And, and they're shocked when, when, the, when the cashier or now the, the, the Scantron um, gives them their bill. Um, 
even if overall inflation comes down in the economy, until food inflation comes down, I think people will still have that sticker shock. I get it myself. Um, now, when you say inflation, you're talking about a continuous upward trend? An increase in the – a general increase in prices. So, I mean, obviously there are different things happening to, to, to different prices. Some prices are even going down. But on average, we're seeing higher increases in prices than we have since the 1970s. Do you expect some of these prices, like food, to go down? Eventually, yes. I, the, the Federal Reserve is continuing to raise interest rates that will bring inflation down but the $64 million question is, how quickly? And that's what we don't know. I noticed the price of eggs a few months ago was close to $5 for a dozen. It's dropped to $233 a dozen. And I think that had to do with something about, uh, I don't know whether it was a disease or some sort of problems with the chickens. One thing about food and, and eggs uh, you know, included, they're very volatile. You have a, a bird flu. You have a frost in Florida that kills m much of the citrus fruit and so forth. And you see those types of food prices spike. And then you have a bountiful crop and food prices plummet again. So, so things like food and, and energy for different reasons um, fluctuate up and down quite a bit. And so some, what economists like to do is they like to strip out those prices and see what's happening more broadly within the economy. So, so when we see the inflation report, it's not just because food prices suddenly went up or down because of something that doesn't have much to do with the overall economy. Weather, for instance. Yeah, I, I could see that, particularly with farms. How is remote work um, affecting the economy? That's a tough question. Um, when you say, first of all, we have to be careful what we think about the economy. Uh, obviously, we want the economy to serve us, to make us better off. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that people are working at home and it's their choice and that's what they prefer to do, even if there is a fall in productivity, th it can still be a net benefit, right? Because people are feeling better about themselves or it's more convenient, whatever the reason. I do think businesses are slowly wanting people to come back to work. Um, obviously, over the last two, three years, we are much more comfortable doing work online, Zoom meetings being the prime, prime example how quickly we'll go back if we go back to the way things were i don't know um, probably some industries will handle more online work very well and and others almost impossible because it is still a face-to-face -face and whatnot so i can't i mean if, if i if i had a, a crystal ball and, and and knew what would happen to the structure of the workforce and how people worked i'd go to wall street and be rich right we will see some changes. Some of them will be long-term. They will persist long past COVID. Um, to what extent this will be, that's, the, that's an open-ended question. Now, as we talked about before the interview, this university, Southern Illinois University, is down a lot of students, but many of them are working remotely, and it has affected downtown Carbondale. Do you expect that to happen in other places, not just with universities, with, but with places that used to have a lot of people working in-house? 
I think so. We are seeing a, a backtrack a little bit. I mean, people left New York, right? And we're seeing people come back. And I think the, the big cities, I think there's such an attraction to big cities, the amenities and, and so forth, that they will see people return. Um, smaller towns could be more affected um, and, and continue to see the loss of of the downtown and and so forth um and that aspect of americana if i can use that term i started seeing that and i think probably the 70s where people would leave the small town to go to the big city and now i've been to several towns in uh, this area and the downtowns are in many cases um, not going as well as say where the walmart is in the strip mall just outside of town and i think that's an important um, point to make. This is this did not happen overnight. I mean, decades ago, people accused the Sears and Montgomery Ward catalogs of ruining downtown America, and then Walmart would go to to outside the the the, the city limits and and set up their brick and mortar stores there. And now we're seeing, you know, online sales and Amazon. So. This goes back decades, if not if not farther, and it's 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 just another example of we're on the same ladder we always were. We, we might we might be at a different rung on that ladder. We almost certainly are, um, but this is not something that Amazon created or the internet created. They've intensified it, but um, again, people people accused Montgomery Ward of destroying downtown America um, almost a century ago. Across from where I live, there's a homeowner who said his house came from Sears and Roebuck. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming it was 100 years ago. So they sent the house and all the person had to do was put it together. I guess, yeah, I guess that's right. I'm not familiar with that as much, but, but uh, it doesn't shock me. That was Kevin Sylvester, professor of economics and director of the School of Analytics, Finance, and Economics at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale which is located 50 miles north of where the Mississippi and Ohio rivers converge. We'll be hearing more from Professor Sylvester in future programs. And let's go to exercise. From Health Fitness Revolution, a casual game of billiards surprisingly yields several advantages, 10 of which. This is according to Samir Besik. He wrote, Resync Your Life. First of all, shooting pool slows aging. According to a recent study from the University of Copenhagen, drinking beer while playing a game of pool with friends can help keep older men active to the exchange between activity and passive activity during a round of pool. And it helps build focus. Pool playing requires a great amount of focus and concentration, and we'll hear about that in a minute. It burns calories. A typical two-hour eight-ball or nine-ball session often provides 100 trips around the table, which is about equal to walking nearly three-quarters of a mile. You didn't know that, did you? It also enables stretching and balance. Shooting pool requires a lot more stretching than a person would normally do. Having to bend across the table to reach the cue ball at a desired angle requires a player to be moderately flexible, especially with complex shots. And pool also enhances balance, as the game requires you to stand on one foot at certain times. Billiards help build control. Studies show that individuals who play cue billiards, like pool, are less likely to panic amid crisis. That's something I didn't know. 
The level-headedness of those who play concentration games are able to think clearly and logically, enabling them to examine the most pertinent facts and details and encourage them to go into action without becoming hysterical. And pool sharpens the mind. It requires performing mental mathematical estimates and calculations such as basic geometry and physics. It also hones good hand-eye coordination. The hand-eye coordination involved is a crucial factor in winning a game of pool. Your hands become swift and agile and can perform minute, finite tasks. And, of course, you can bring the kids in because it's fun for all ages. It also tones muscles. Low-impact toning of the back, hip, and leg muscles pertaining to continuous bending and reaching to facilitate arm-hand setups and the exercises found in cue-stroking moments. And improves cognitive skills. The mental stimulation of pool features virtually infinite table layouts every time a player breaks a rack of balls. So, now that we know what shooting pool can do for the boomer and everyone else, let's visit a pool hall in a rural city in Illinois. My name is Jackie Dwayne McGee. You're 92 years old and you're still shooting pool. Yes, sir. How has your pool shooting changed since you were, say, 20? Oh, I drove a truck for 40, 50 years, so I don't know. <laughs> I guess when you're shooting pool, you have to walk around the table a lot. Does that cause you any yes, problem? Sir. Yes, it does. Of course, my legs are weak and I get hard easy. My back goes hurting. How many hours do you shoot pool a day? Oh, maybe one and a half. Well, for 92, it sounds like it's pretty good. We try, okay. And now I'm going to talk to the youngest member of the pool team. And what is your name, sir? Joe Ziegler. I'm 66. You're a kid. I'm older than you are, and I'm 70. Okay, how does this help you, I guess, with fitness and thinking? Yes. Uh, I had a heart attack in September. I've been uh, lifting weights, doing everything else, but playing pool keeps me active and keeps my mind working. Okay, thank you. And your name, sir? Alfred Baker. I'm 73. 73 years old, and how does pool shooting help you? Uh, it gives me phys- physical activity. It keeps me moving. I had I got a sore on my head. Well, I had a sore on my foot. It's healing. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair and everything, mm-hmm. shooting pool, same thing. So, shooting pool from a wheelchair? Yes, sir. Now, uh, what about the thinking involved? I've shot some pool. I'm not good at it. But um, are you constantly thinking when you're, when you're approaching the ball? Oh, yeah. Always looking for the next shot. Even when somebody else is shooting? Even when someone else shooting. Okay. If, if Steve shoots, I'm watching his ball where it lands. And Steve, do you do the same thing? I do. I'm Stephen Cobb. I'm 76 years old. And we really enjoy coming down here. We play pool before lunch, we eat our lunch, and then come back in and play a few games after. And this good exercise, like you said, uh, I go to the hub a lot. I had total knee replacement back in January, and a couple weeks later, I was back down here playing pool. Wow, that's something. Uh, Now, tell me about your thinking. Uh, They say that senior citizens need to keep thinking or they're vulnerable to say dementia uh, cognitive problems forgetting things do you think it helps you 
Well, yeah, we all forget things. I mean, we forget whether we're shooting at the stripes or the solids, and every one of us do that just about, you know, sometimes you have to remind somebody. But we play a little different game down here. Most pool tables like this, they just play eight ball. Well, we play eight ball, but before you can shoot the eight, you have to get the 15 in this side, the left side, and you have to get the one over there, only those two pockets. So that makes it a little more challenging. And more complicated. I, I could yeah. barely follow what you were saying. Right. It, uh, well, it's, the one team's got the solids, the other one's got the stripes, and if you got the stripes, you got to get your 15 in here. So, it, uh, before you shoot the eight. Yeah, before you can shoot the eight ball. And then once you get your 15 and all the other balls down, then you shoot the eight ball, just like regular eight ball. Did you guys make up this game, or is it something... <laughs> You have to ask Jack that. When I started coming here about four years ago, the game was here. That's the way they play, they said, so we just keep playing. And that was probably here a lot of years, but Jack would probably know better. Jack, tell me about that. You guys made up a new pool game? This is where when I come here, I come here about nine years ago, something like that. And uh, I thought it was a good situation the way we played it. And so we keep it, pass it down to people to come in. They enjoy having the same thing as the straight eight ball. Is this something new? Was it originated here in Marion? I think it originated here in Marion by, uh, uh, I can't think of his Lester. name now, Lester Emery. And is Lester Emery still with us? He's in Florida. He owns a condo down there. And he got remarried after his wife passed away. And uh, once in a while I call him and find out he says he's doing real good. So God bless him. Is he still playing pool? I guess he is. He's got a daughter down there, got a pool room, and uh, she gave him a new stick. So I guess he's still playing. How old is he, do you think? He's, he's a little older than I am, but he's 90, almost 93. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Oh, Brian, okay. Brian's sitting there with, uh, I guess that's a portable pool. Oh, he's a hustler. Okay, are you hustling these no, poor guys? No, 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 not at all. These are good guys. I like hanging out with them. Gets me out of the house. It's great. They are. They're all great. They all have, uh, they're, they're fun to be around, and they're, they're all real uh, sportsmen-like, and it's, it's nice. It really is. It's enjoyable. Now, Brian, how what, what's your full name and how old are you? My name is Brian Stockinger. I'm 71 years old. Um, I've had a peripheral artery disease, so I had some of that taken care of. But uh, I'm that I'm not in too bad a shape. So. Now, you've got a pool cue that you have to screw together. Do you do that for protection yeah. or are you going to actually shoot pool? Uh, it's, yeah, I use it to shoot pool with. It's a, it's a good pool stick and it's, it's a... It's a lot of fun. One other thing I want to mention, we do have a pool tournament here once a month. And they give you a little trophy and give you some free meal tickets and everybody comes down and we just play each other. You lose two times and you're out. And then, then it gets, yeah, you got to be 60 years old. No hustlers allowed. Oh, we well that, but then I the can't come in and do it. <laughs> All right, now uh, what date is it? I think it's about the 16th or 17th this month. Okay. It's on the calendar. I'll look here. on the calendar. I'll look on the calendar. And I looked on the calendar, and he's right. The pool tournament starts at 1215, May 17th, at Club 60, the Marion, Illinois Senior Citizen Center. 
everybody. It's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Techtime.it. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery, weird animals, and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on the The Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. It's time to get up. Oh, it always hurts. Maybe I should shoot some more pool. All right. We're walking. Oh, my gosh. What a coincidence. We're walking past the OK Boomer WGNS. No, that's not W. That's in in Nashville. WDBX uh, Pool Hall. Went back in the past for a few seconds. You know, covid long COVID. So we're heading to the coffee machine and we're going to make our coffee. Oh my gosh, the coffee's ready. Let's take a sip. Mmm, ah, delicious. And they say it's only been sitting around in our coffee room for three months. I think it's it's no older than a month. Frankly, I'm not impressed. Up and coming, Bob and Marcia Smith with the off-ramp. Standing by and holding. But before we have the off-ramp, we're going to play a song. Uh, Roger Ramjet, uh, I've talked to him many times. Uh, what's interesting about Roger is that um, he looked like the cartoon character Roger Ramjet on television back in the 1960s. And um, he kept that persona because the kids kept calling him Roger Ramjet. He did it on WIDB, the student station at Southern Illinois University. And also he carried his persona on into Iowa. 
and he compiled a list of songs that really liked him. One of them is from Orleans. has one song on my favorites list love takes time hits number 11 on the hot 100 and number 13 on the adult contemporary chart they had a couple of bigger hits in the mid 70s dance with me and still the one when john hall was the leader and creative center of the band he left the band though in 1977 to pursue a solo career and this was the first big hit they had after he left the group John Hall has been in and out of the group since then and has since retired from the group. Orleans has continued touring, although Lance Hoppen is the only original member left in the group. Nineteen seventy nine, here's Orleans and Love Takes Time. Out of the past 1970s, Orleans, and love takes time. Now, I didn't really make a point of listening to rock music back then uh, because I was working mainly in news, and I was working at a radio station in Mason City, Iowa, and the newsroom was uh, next to the studio so I could hear the speaker, and I heard a lot of these songs, and I really enjoyed them, but I really wasn't paying much attention because I was concentrating on writing news and reporting news. Anyway, uh, Roger Ramjet is in Iowa now. He uh, retired there. He was working for a while with the community college um, district there. He got his master's degree in, I think it was business. But I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd be talking about Professor Roger Ramjet. Anyway, we go on. We're going to be talking about another person I went to school with, Bob Smith. And uh, Bob and I worked on uh, WSIU Radio at SIU Carbondale and then WRAJ Radio in Anna, Illinois. And Bob went on to be a uh, nationally recognized person uh, recording commercials. Uh, anyway, he's retired, too, and he has a hobby. He loves trivia, all sorts of trivia, and he has hours of it that he has recorded. And we broadcast it here on WDBX. Uh this program is called the off-ramp, where you get away from crazy and you, and you, and you think about what's happening. Uh, think about this. What did the Catholic Church invent in the ninth century that Russian communists were forced to use for more than 70 years? Can you imagine? Can you think about it? I don't have any idea. And if Americans could only eat one food for the rest of their lives, what would it be? Enjoy a potpourri of trivia fun with Bob and Marcia Smith next on The Off-Ramp from OK Boomer. There's a lot of things that go through your mind during this time. I've got medical questions today. I also have a religious question today I'd like to start off the show with. Yeah, I heard that on the teaser. Okay. Uh, you're going back to the 19th century. No, the 9th century, Marcia. Oh, this goes God. back several years. <laughs> So what did That's before my time. What did the Catholic Church invent in the ninth century that Russian communists were forced to use and are still using it? Russians are. <laughs> Good Lord. What do you think it is? What did they invent 
that's been used for the last 1150 years. Guilt? No. (laughs) (laughs) And that was invented a long, long time ago. Oh, before the ninth century. No, I have no idea. Okay, they invented the alphabet that's been used for the last 1150 years in Russia, Eastern Europe, and Central Asia. That's the Cyrillic alphabet, that strange-looking typeface. Actually, uh, two brothers who were Christian missionaries did that. You've seen that in Russian words, Russian posters, and uh, other Eastern European countries use that. The brothers were Cyril, that's where the first name comes from, Cyrillic, right? Oh, really? Cyril and Methodius. They were from (laughs) Thessaloniki, Greece's second largest city. They were young boys when their father, who was a... He was a Greek government official, died, and they went to live with a high-ranking official of the Byzantine Empire. He made sure they had an excellent education. They studied uh, Greek and Arabic and Hebrew. They became monks, and they became diplomats for the empire. And eventually, in 862 AD, the Byzantine emperor, at the request of the Duke of Moravia, sent them to Christianize the Duke's lands. And when they got there, they found there was really no tradition of a written alphabet. So they invented this, representing the sounds of the Slavic tribes, and it became incorporated into the Catholic Church over the years. And today, it's the official alphabet for the national languages of Russia, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and Serbia. So I think the irony here is communism, the ideology that tried to stamp out religion for almost a century, had to use an alphabet invented by the church. Huh. <laughs> it went through changes over the years. They actually started a university or a, where they taught it. They taught literacy. And this alphabet was something, as again, they based it on the Slavic sounds. Who knew? Not me, Bob. Not and the, apparently the communists didn't try to change that when they were changing everything <laughs> else when they took over Russia. They were busy with other That's things. That's right. Slaughters, whatever. They had things to do. Okay, from that on to the uh, absolutely useless information that I like to ask questions about. <laughs> if Americans, Bob, could only eat one food for the rest of their lives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This study, there's always somebody doing a study, shows what food would it be? Hot dogs. That's not even on the top four. Here. Hamburgers. That's on the list. That's uh, that's tie for number two. Apples. <laughs> you give us more credit than we're worth. Okay. What has all all the major food groups thrown on top of it? Pizza. Yay! Oh, you're kidding. That's <laughs> no. what people would choose. This is what Americans well, sure. would choose if well, they could. Well, think about it. You get all, you get your protein, you get your vegetables, or you could have your fruit, your That's pineapple true. and That's barbecue. You know. get your fruit. Pizza is pretty darn. <laughs> and uh, second place is steak, hmm. followed by hamburger, tacos, and pasta. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, once you get past the pizza. Out of all those, I think pizza's probably the healthiest because it's got more variety on it. Don't tell a lot of vegetarians that. (laughs) Well, you don't have to have meat on it. Okay, speaking of food, I'll talk about a drink here. A question on a drink. What brand name fruit drink was originally developed as a substitute for wine used in church services? Oh, there's no substitute for wine. (laughs) That's your thinking. Was it grape juice? Yeah, what what kind? Welch's? Welch's grape juice. Yeah, it was developed in 1869 by a New Jersey dentist, Thomas Bramwell Welch, and it was a temperance substitute for wine used in church communion services. 1869, wow, I I had no idea. I mean, people went to great extremes. Well, we're not going to drink any alcohol, so we're not going to drink it in church, right? 
Well, anyway, he picked 40 pounds of Concord grapes from his backyard. He pasteurized the juice in his wife's kitchen. He bottled it and began selling unfermented wine to nearby churches. And it became a huge growers uh, exchange. I think Welch's is still owned by the farmers. But originally, it was a substitute for communion wine. Hmm. Don't want to get drunk in church because look how much <laughs> wine you drink in church. What kind of services were they having where people were getting drunk on communion wine? Oh, that's uh, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> well, uh, sticking with consumables. Okay. What's the oldest known vegetable in the world, Bob? The oldest known vegetable? Yeah, yeah that we know that has been around for... What, is this the it, first it, one God started growing, or what are we talking about? We're not going into theology here, oh, Bob. This oh, is, <laughs> this is uh, archaeologists have found this from 8,000 years ago. People were eating this. Uh, corn? I would have guessed that. Yeah. But no. What is it? Peas. 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 They found peas in Stone Age settlements. They were grown and eaten, obviously. That so. makes sense that they could be left behind. They could be in petrified. Urns or, yeah, or they could be in jars or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, they don't just grow in the wild, do they? But anyway, Stone Age settlements had peas. So just hmm. so you know that. You don't find any kale in those settlements. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a... Oh, okay. I, I spoke about Russians a moment ago. I found a... I got an interesting question. How did Karl Marx feel about the Russians? <laughs> you know, they were the first real big country to adopt his uh, ideology of yeah. communism. Yeah. How did Karl Marx feel about the Russians? Did he like them? Well, I suspect he probably didn't like them at all, judging your... Asking the question, so what's the correct answer? Yes, the father of the Marxist philosophy distrusted Russians. He wrote to his partner when he was writing the Communist Manifesto, Friedrich Engels. He said, I do not trust any Russian. As soon as a Russian worms his way in, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's here's a history question, Bob. Why did John Hancock sign his name so large on the on the Declaration of Independence. Well, he was the first to sign, so he signed very big. And I don't know <laughs> if he signed. That's embarrassing. Huh? <laughs> I don't know if he signed very big because he thought, well, they're all going to sign their name big. I want to sign mine big. I thought it was an <laughs> ego thing, but what is it? Why did he sign it so large? Yeah, he's going to start an insurance company, or <laughs> <laughs> I got to have some advertising for this insurance company of mine. Uh, no. It's because the poor-sighted English king, George III, could read it without his spectacles. Oh, he wanted to make sure George could read it. So they must have known George had a vision problem. Yeah. How interesting. Isn't that funny? That is so I mean, you know, everybody, why the heck was uh, Hancock's name so big? Uh, But that's embarrassing. When you're the first of anything, you, you, you know, stand the risk of being embarrassed by doing something nobody else does and you recall that don't I you, did that yes <laughs> yes one of our class reunions they had a I think everybody was invited to write a little remembrance of their life or what they've done and I wrote this and I, when I saw it published everybody else's were like a sentence mine was like paragraphs and <laughs> you and you and my sister both said look at me look at me <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 you were very embarrassed and rightly so okay okay <laughs> All right, you spoke of the English. I have a question about the English. Yes, okay? sir. When anesthesia was first used to diminish the pains of childbirth for English women, churchmen protested. The Bible said women should suffer in pain when oh, bearing children. God, that is 
such a misogynistic thing. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> yes. Okay, so how were those protests silenced when anesthesia was first used? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Somebody had to do something that would, you know, kind of be an example. Who would that be? Who would that? What year was that? It was the 19th century. Oh, I don't know. Did What did they do? You like this person. You admire this person based on a TV series we watched. English TV series. Oh, Vera. <laughs> no, that's the detective. Oh, okay. This is historic. All right, I'll tell you. Okay. Queen Victoria. Oh, really? She chose anesthesia when she gave birth to her seventh child. Jeez. So she allowed herself to be chloroformed, and all the criticism stopped. Oh, indeed. Because, you know, back then there was yeah. such respect for royalty. Yeah. British men were saying, well, women should not be have any anesthesia no, when they have childbirth. They should have pain. And then Good. Queen Victoria. Okay. Well, okay. I guess it's I'll all right. I'll just shut the hell up now. So none of the churchmen had the nerve to criticize well, the queen. bravo, Vicky. Isn't that, <laughs> Vicky, isn't that, isn't that amazing that men would say, well, the women should suffer in pain. That's just part of it. That's what they have to do. <laughs> Good God. If only we could give them the thrill of birth, but we can't. So. <laughs> okay. You've often told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Honest, when, when I saw you go through our first child, I remember thinking, I've never seen a man work this hard. Oh, my God. That's Herculean strength and tolerance. It was amazing watching childbirth. Especially since our first child was almost 10 pounds. That was, that was a special thrill. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. I got one. Okay. You know, half of this, I believe, because we actually saw this in uh, Mexico. In ancient Peru, Aztecs played a primitive form of basketball, shooting a rubber-like ball through a stone ring hung high on a wall. That's right. Yes. Remember seeing that, saw at, that at Machu Chichen Itza? Chichen Itza. Yeah. Maya. Uh, probably remember what the loser got. Loser was killed. That's right. The losing team was just massacred. Yeah, I remember that too. But what did the winners get? I heard the winners were killed sometimes too. Uh, no. Actually, this is just talking about two people, a winner and a loser. Okay. It says the loser was put to death rather quickly. But <laughs> this is so stupid. The winner was awarded the clothes of all the spectators present. <laughs> <laughs> And you get this brand new wardrobe. <laughs> Here's a toga from George in row three. Good <laughs> Lord, that's so strange. I'm sure they didn't wear togas, but that was still, oh I my mean, God. You, you die and you get all the clothes. Uh, and then what, the, the, the audience goes home naked? I guess. <laughs> that's a strange, strange custom. All right, I have a, uh, uh, this is a medical question. What fruits liquid can be substituted for blood plasma? during an emergency. A fruit's liquid can be substituted for blood plasma, or at least it has been, during an emergency. Wow. I, I had no idea about this. Wow. This comes from Isaac Asimov's Book of Facts. He wrote these. He did so much research when he was writing all his books. He wrote 200 books. Yes, unlike us. <laughs> so so when he did, he, he, started, he just kept all these facts he found, uh, and this is one of them. This is a fruit juice. A fr what, a juice what fruit's liquid can yeah. be substituted for blood I don't know. Plasma. I'll say the kiwi. Well, you're close to it. It's the liquid inside young coconuts. Really? Oh, yeah. it's a milky kind of... Yeah, apparently this was discovered during World War II. Doctors in Fiji also discovered surgical incisions heal faster when sewn with sterilized coconut fiber instead of cat gut. 
So if they could take coconut fiber and uh-huh. the heal, the stitches would heal faster. Wow. Incisions would heal, let's put it that way. Yeah, interesting fact. It is fascinating. Okay, I've got another history fact. Okay. You've always heard the expression about Timbuktu. I, I had to go all the way to Timbuktu to get this. Or okay, yeah. I'll send you to Timbuktu. Yeah, Jokes yeah. in songs. Where was Timbuktu and was it noted for anything? <laughs> I know. Is it, it was, is it in the Middle East? I thought it was in India. I thought or that's where Asia, it was. But no. Asia? It was actually in uh, Africa. No? Yeah. In the Middle Ages and the late 1400s, Timbuktu was the most progressive city in an African kingdom that was in many ways more well-advanced than Western Europe. It was located in Sanhay, S-O-N-H-A-Y, which was an African kingdom larger than Western Europe. And Timbuktu's university was famous throughout Africa and Europe. What, what year was that? In the Middle Ages, in the late 1400s. Its medical center near the Niger River attracted sick people from all over the world. No so see, Timbuktu, is, it's not like, geez. oh, this is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. This, this is the place yeah. to go for Isn't knowledge. Isn't that something? It, yeah. It's, God, it's like the Mayo Clinic of the Of the Middle 14. Ages. Yeah, wow. It was Timbuktu. Here's a, a fun fact. Okay. The manager of a movie theater in Seoul, Korea... He was going to show The Sound of Music and thought it was too long. What did he edit out of the uh, movie? He thought The Sound of Music was too long? Yeah. Did he edit all the songs out? Yes, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the story (laughs) about this musical family. It's Uh, called The Worst Editing of a Movie Ever. (laughs) God. A story of a musical family with no music. (laughs) Ah, You can figure it out. Oh, my God. What an atrocious thing to do. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture that movie, you know, yeah. how it would cut from scene to scene without oh. a song. Well, Stairs. especially that last part where they're doing the show and they're leaving the stage and yeah. the Germans don't realize they're, yeah. they're leaving. He cut how can you cut that scene out? I... <laughs> and all of a sudden, they were gone. <laughs> we're not going to tell you how well, cleverly they left the stage. They get them on the stage and then they cut to them marching over the hills quietly. <laughs> And then they must have had Julie up there in that field running around without just, any music. Yeah, so. yeah, just, uh, well. Okay, right. time to take a break. You're listening to the Off-Ramp Trivia with Bob and Marcia Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. They're coming back right now, folks. All right, we're back here on the Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, there are very few popular fruits, Bob, that can be classified as American in origin. Can you name the top three? Are these originated in America yeah. or were yeah. they they developed through crossbreeding or something like that? Uh, there are just three. Okay, I'm just thinking like nectarines or something are, like that, which is a combination of two cl- different fruits. Well, in origin. Well, the first one, uh, we actually saw these. Harvested. Uh, harvested right uh, here. So in- Okay, so those are, I call them craisins, but they're, uh, <laughs> well, you know, they look like raisins. But they're not, and I can't think of the real name. Cranberries. Cranberries, yes. Cranberries, yes. And that, That's a huge crop in Wisconsin. And Massachusetts. And Massachusetts, We're the two yeah. big uh, producers of cranberries, and we saw them being in a big bog. It was really interesting. So the first one is cranberries. The second one is blueberries, and the third one is Concord grapes. No kidding. So those are all, all three originated in... in uh, in America. The, their origins are here, yeah. Because now there were grapes for thousands of years in Europe, but not yeah. Concord grapes. Right. Well, I don't know. What did they use? Oh. Didn't they make wine out of grapes, Marsh? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know there, there were grapes need, everywhere. You go ahead and look into that, okay? 
I've got a uh, I've got a question, a modern question on electricity. Yes, sir. Okay. They were trying to introduce electricity to Constantinople. Who? Modern people. Ah. But the Sultan of Turkey was told it would be necessary to install dynamos. What did he think they were saying? Dynamite? That's right. <laughs> and he knew what dynamite was. So he vetoed the project, and Turkey had to wait for several additional years before electricity, just because the ruler didn't understand, understand. the word. Oh, that's interesting. You know, things still happen like that. That's in true. Days, you know? <laughs> just... Here's something. Who was the first person ever to report seeing a mermaid off the American coast. <laughs> Why would I know the answer to that? Because it's a famous person. Okay, Tom Hanks. Because <laughs> that was the movie that I remember. It was, but no. He entered it in his diary. He sighted the mermaid oh, in be? the waters near Mohegan Island off the coast of Maine in 1614. Who would... 1614? Yeah. who would have been... That's before the pilgrims. That's So this would have been... A explorer? Hmm? I don't know. Who yeah. was that? Captain John Smith, your uncle. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Captain John Smith. Yeah, from Virginia. Virginia colonist. He saw a mermaid. Okay, well, what are you gonna what are you gonna say about that? <laughs> I think you're gonna say he saw a mermaid. How interesting. <laughs> All right. I recently saw an article on one of my favorite websites, Mental Floss, and it was 26 fascinating facts about the human body. I'm not going to ask you about all of them, but I have a couple. Okay? All right. There is a place in your body that has 2,300 species of bacteria. Oh, swell. Where is that? Your tongue? No. I think it would be something like that. Is it inside your body? No. Okay, so it's outside. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. Thanks. It's your belly button. It has, okay, how many again? 2,300 species of bacteria. In 2011, a group of scientists started the Belly Button Biodiversity Project. <laughs> there actually was a project. It wasn't called the Navel. It was called the Belly Button Biodiversity Project. And they counted my... the bacteria. Well, they wanted to find out what's going on inside of those little caves of mystery we call belly buttons, you know. Lots and of time it, it on It turns their out hands. quite a lot, yeah. Uh, they sampled 60 people, revealing 2,300 total species of bacteria. Like I said, it's not exposed. Most of us don't yeah. have it that exposed. Innies and outies and all that, but well, you know, it, it captures lint, and so then, yeah, then the uh, everything feeds off of that. Well, this is this is disturbing. I would call it. <laughs> okay, and I think that's all we got today. Back to you, Bob Rickman, for OK Boomer. This is Bob and Marcia Smith. Thank you very much, Bob. I did not know that you were um, related to the Smith who uh, discovered everything. Congratulations, Bob. And also, uh, we at OK Boomer have hired the producer of um, The Sound of Music, who took all the music out of the program. He's working for us now. OK, Boomer. OK, kid. Well, that just about wraps okay, it up. OK, Boomer. I said that just about wraps it up, folks. OK, Boomer. Okay, now, listen, you guys are getting OK, of, Boomer. OK, knock it off. OK, Knock it off. Who's in control of this program? Well, the answer is nobody. And that wraps it up. I'm Robert Rickman. I'd like to thank Kevin Sylvester, the Pool Sharks at Club 60, the Senior Center in Marion, Bob and Marcia Smith, and Janice Paul. That's OK Boomer for this week. And uh, join me next week. And remember this, we always have options.